verse 6. It, it's a familiar passage. But I want to I talk to you. If we're going to title the sermon, and normally I preach a sermon and then title it, you know, because sometimes what I come to the pulpit to preach is not exactly what I wind up sharing. And, um, but I feel very confident to go ahead and give you the title before we start this morning. And the title this morning is Trust the Process. Okay? Trust the Process. And there's all kinds of verses that we could turn to to, to introduce that. But let's begin in Philippians chapter 1 and um, verse uh, number, let's go to, I'll tell you what, let's just make it simple. Let's go to verse uh, number 6. It says, being confident of this very thing. So remember, confidence is born of trust. When you trust and really trust, that's when you have confidence. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he, he has started a work in you. One translation says he will be faithful to complete it. And that word faithful means trustworthy. So he who started a good work in you will be faithful, is trustworthy to finish the work in you that he has started, that he has uh, began, began, begun, whatever the tense is there on, on that one. Amen. Swim, swam, swam. I don't know, I don't know those either. Amen. Um, but that's why I substitute. You notice what I did there, right? He started it. He, he began it. Amen. And he will be faithful to complete it. Now, we know that what he started in you, he did all the heavy lifting uh, in order for you to be saved. Um, it, 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 it required very little on our part compared to what it required on his part for you to receive uh, his gift of salvation. And we're very, very thankful for that. But as we grow and develop in the things of God, we see that more and more cooperation on our part is involved if we're going to experience and enjoy the things that Father God has created us to experience and enjoy. Now, turn with me to Mark, the fourth chapter. Mark, chapter 4. Amen. And um, we'll spend a little bit of time here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, Mark, the fourth chapter. And let's begin at verse number 26. Mark chapter 4 and verse 26. Let me um, just repeat some things that we have said multiple times throughout the course of our study. And I pray that these things are, are settling deep in, inside your, your awareness, your heart, your mind, your thinking. But the Holy Spirit has spoken to us and He said that placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. So trusting God and following Him and walking with Him, it will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart, doors that cannot be opened any other way. We said that trusting God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. Theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. Now, Mark chapter 4 and verse number 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man, good, good things coming, brother, amen, we love you, amen, praise God, all right, let's start over, Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus speaking, and he said, the kingdom of heaven, I'm sorry, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And he should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. 
For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. Somebody say process. Do you see this is a process here? It's a process here, all right? But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, God is a God of process. That's not to say that he is not a God of benefit or a God of increase or a God of harvest. God is clearly a God of harvest, a God of increase. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that all increase comes from God. All increase comes from God. Amen. You may plant, somebody else may water, but God gives the increase. That's why the farmer plants the seed, goes to sleep at night, wakes up in the morning, right, and, and, and is participating in a process that he doesn't fully understand. Notice the Bible says that he plants the seed, but he himself does not know how the seed goes from a sprout to a, to a stalk, <laughs> to a full-grown plant, um, to uh, you know, fruit and more seed, more food, if you will, on that plant. He, he doesn't fully understand the process. I'm getting a little ahead of myself now. We'll talk about this in a minute. He doesn't fully understand the process, but he understands how to participate in the process. He doesn't understand the process, but he understands how to participate in the process. Now, God is a God of process. That's not to say that he isn't a God of benefit, but we tend to focus more on the benefits of, of, of you know, being connected with God, of knowing God, and less and less on the process of walking with him on a daily basis. So God is a God of process. Now, I want to I just kind of build on this for a few minutes this morning. All of God's ways, not a few of them, not some of them, not most of them, all, that's a big statement, amen. I spent some time, and I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke that to my heart, I spent some time, you know, kind of meditating on that because, you know, it'd be easy for me to say most of, you know. But the reality of it is this, all of God's ways are designed to teach you to trust Him. All of God's ways are designed to teach you to trust Him. So again, we tend to focus more on the benefits of living for God and less on the process of walking with God. But we learn from process what cannot be learned any other way. Now, we've been in a study now for some months, and the overarching title of this, and we've explored different parts and pieces of it, but what we're ultimately learning how to do here at Heritage, what the Holy Spirit is breathing on during this season for us, is that we're learning to trust God. We're learning to trust God. And one of the things that we've realized throughout the course of our study, and I think COVID, um, you know, brought a lot of this to light, exposed a lot of, a lot of this, is, that, is that, we, that we found out through this whole COVID experience that a, a lot of people thought they were trusting God only to find out maybe that, that they weren't. And it's very easy for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we trust God when we, when we, when we don't actually trust Him. Now, I'm, this is for another sermon for another day, but... But, you see, a lot of people talk about how they trust God with their life, but do not trust Him with their livelihood. See, it's very easy for you to deceive yourself into thinking that you trust God with your life and your eternity. You know, we, we trust Him with our, with our eternal destination, but we do not trust Him 
with our daily walk, our daily life. We trust him with our life, but we do not trust him with our livelihood. My friend, you're deceiving yourself if you think you trust God with your life, but do not trust him with your livelihood. So in unraveling all of this, here's another area of deception. It's when we try to trust God without trusting his process. When we try to trust God or say that we trust God or believe that we trust God, but we do not trust his process. Committing your works and ways to the Lord means committing yourself to his process. And remember, all the ways of God, all the ways of God are designed to teach you, to teach me how to trust him. Have you ever heard the expression, trust the process? Anybody ever heard that? Trust the process. I think there are three, you know, maybe related, but three at least distinct reasons why we would say to another person, trust the process, or another person would say to you or me, trust the process. Trust the process is used to assure us, to encourage us, to motivate us to continue First of all, when the results we desire are not happening fast enough. In other words, we're, we're, we're looking for things to change. We're wanting them to change quicker than they're changing. We want, them to, we want things to, to, to come to pass faster than they're coming to pass. And so we start getting frustrated. We start getting impatient. And so somebody may say to us when we're in that, in that place, you need to trust the process. So trust the process is used to assure us, number one, when the results we desire are not happening fast enough. Trust the process is used to assure us, encourage us when what we are currently doing doesn't seem to be making a difference. Okay? What we're currently doing doesn't seem to be making a difference. And related to that, number three, trust the process when what we're currently doing doesn't seem to have anything to do with what we're trying to accomplish. All right? Now... Let's, I could, I could spend the rest of our time together, but so much of what God's process involves, right, doesn't seem like it has anything to do with the pressing current need in your life. Remember, God is an agricultural God in a mechanical, digital, push-button world. That's why all the ways of God are designed to teach you to trust Him. So the farmer that Jesus told us about in, um, in, in Mark's gospel, the one that we read about, let's, let's go back to that. I want to read at least a part of this to you again. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. You see, the farmer is at rest because he knows he is taking part in a process that is bigger than him. He knows that he has engaged a system of increase that he doesn't control, but he knows how to take part in. He doesn't even understand it, but what he does understand is he understands how to participate in something that he doesn't exactly know all the details of how it works. 
So you and I, we can benefit from a process we don't understand as long as we understand how to participate in the process. But now, here we come back to it. What will it take on your part? What will it take on my part to participate in a process we do not understand? Capital T-R-U-S-T. It's going to take trust. It's going to take trust to participate in a process that you do not understand. But again, these are the ways of God. Think about it for a moment, all right? Um, And and we we have, again, we're in a mechanical digital world. We're in a completely different, I say completely different, it's, it's how it plays out in our lives. Anybody eat breakfast this morning? You ate breakfast this morning because of this thing called seed time and harvest. Everything you consumed this morning came from something that was planted and that grew up and produced an increase and was harvested. If it was eggs, even, even you know, meat and, and things of that nature, um, they, they continue to, uh, to, to be produced because of seed time and harvest. But let's, let's try to simplify it because in, in the example that Jesus gave us, this man was taking seed and he was going and he was planting it in the ground, okay? Now, there is a difference between planting and burying, okay? But they look a whole lot alike. See, if, if you put money in the offering this morning uh, with, you know, regret and, and sorrow and, uh, you, you know wishing you could have done something different with that money, then you didn't plant that money, you buried it. You had a real quick funeral when that offering basket went by as you said bye-bye to your money, right? Okay, that's burying. If you put money in the offering plate this morning with a smile on your face, with an anticipation of God using that money to increase His kingdom, to to do something of of significance in the world, and that that money was going to come back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, right? You didn't bury your money, you planted it. See, a lot of people mourn over offerings. Jesus said, give cheerfully or don't give at all, Right? They, they grieve over it. They agonize over it, right? It's because they're not planting their money, they're burying it, saying goodbye to it, as if it'll never have any other influence or impact on their lives ever again. That money's now just a memory from the past. See, the money that, that, that we gave this morning is not a memory from the past. That money now is in our future in a multiplied state in way of harvest, So God says to the farmer, you need some more food for your family? Yes, sir, I need some more food for my family. Then take some of the food that I've already blessed you with and take it out back and put it in the ground. So that doesn't make sense. I need more food and God's telling me to take some of the food that I have and go bury it. He's telling me to take it out of my kids' mouths and go put it in the ground. Doesn't make sense. I mean, if you just look at it like that, right? You understand that that's what seed, seed's just future food. The Bible says he gives seed to plant and bread to eat. You see, God is a seed-minded God in the midst of a bread-minded people. When God blesses you, he first of all blesses you with seed 
and then a portion of the, of the, of the blessing is for you to eat, for you to consume uh, yourself, for you to enjoy upon yourself. You see, one of the reasons why God's people aren't prospering as they should prosper is that they're eating all their seed. We're consuming everything God gives us. Let's say you get, let's say you get a raise, or let's say you get a bonus. Some people in their jobs, they get a bonus this time of year. Or let's say, you know, because of inflation and what's going on in our world, your, your company, your, your employer, they, they give you a cost of living raise. They, they increase you. They, 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 they give you more money. See, how many of God's people, when they get a raise or a bonus, think, man, more seed? See, we, we don't think more seed. We think more bread. God is a seed-minded God in the midst of a bread-minded people. So he says, if you want more bread, you need to take some of the seed that I've given you and go bury it. Don't eat it, go bury it. Or more accurately, go and plant it. So God's process for providing more food means taking some of the food you have, putting it in the ground instead of putting it in your mouth. Did I mention all of God's ways are designed to teach you to trust him? Now, what if the farmer said... I will not put any more food in the ground until I understand how this works. I'm done with this until I understand it. Or how about this? I will not take any more food from my children's mouths and bury it out in that field until I understand how the ground and seed work together to make more food. No, see, there's trust here. What if the farmer stressed out of his mind up all night... That's not what the Bible said. Jesus said he plants it and he goes to sleep. But what if the farmer, stressed out of his mind, up all night, goes at first sign of morning, determined to get the food he buried the day before if it has not turned into more food overnight? Right? You know, his wife's nagging at him, we ain't going to have enough now. And now you've got this crazy idea to go bury some of it out in the backyard thinking it's going to make some more? Okay, honey, okay, I'll go first thing in the morning, and if it's not more food, I'll dig it up and bring it back in and wash it off. See, we know that's not how this works. What would you say to him? I hope you would say, trust the process. Do you know what you're doing right now? What you're doing right now is a part of God's process. See, some of you are thinking, you know, what in the world is going to church for, you know, hour and a half on a Sunday morning? What, what does that have to do with the chaos that's in my family, with an empty bank account, with my ragged emotions, my depression and anxiety? These are things that I need some, I need some real help with. And, now I'm sitting here, I could be at work, I'm sitting here, I could, I could be somewhere fishing and clearing my mind, I could be this, I could be that, right? No, I'm, I'm telling you that what you're doing right now is a part of God's process for restoring your family, healing your emotions, and resolving your financial crisis. Because what are you doing right now? You're choosing to make the things of God a priority. You're setting your mind on Him. 
You're worshiping Him. You're being thankful. You're honoring God with your time, talent, trust, and treasure. Fellowshipping with God. Fellowshipping with God's people. Learning from the Holy Spirit. Learning from God's Holy Word. This is all part of the process, my friend. This is your effort, my effort, to cooperate with Him who started a good work in us. I had a brother in class this week. He, it was such a powerful testimony. He is up in years now, but, but he shared with the class. He said, he said, Pastor Mark, he said, I got born again when I was 14 years old. So, somewhere along the way, I, I've, I've missed something. He who started a good work in you. Whenever you may have been a child when you were born again, he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But see, again, he's wanting to bring you from the land of not enough through the land of barely enough into the land of more than enough. He's wanting to bring you out of Egypt through the wilderness into your best life. But it takes more trust to live your best life than it takes to get through the wilderness. And it takes more trust to get through the wilderness than it takes to get out of Egypt. Let me say it another way. It takes more cooperation on your part and my part to get through the wilderness than it took to get out of Egypt. And it takes more trust and cooperation with God on our part to get through the wilderness, right? But then once we get into the promised land, it's not that we trust Him less now that we're in the promised land. It's that we trust Him more. And all that we learn walking through the wilderness with Him, right, was preparing us and bringing us up to a level of trust so that we could thrive in our best life that God has for us. The mindset that says, Jesus, take the wheel, let go, let God, that's, that's getting out of Egypt mindset. That's a, that's a baby Christian who's still trying to get God to do everything for them. Listen, God did, as I've already said, through Jesus, He did all the heavy lifting to get you and me out of Egypt. But He brought you out so that He might bring you in. He wants to bring you to your best life which means your response to Him, your willingness to cooperate with Him, your willingness to participate in processes that you don't understand. I don't know about you, but I, I'll just go ahead and tell you something about me. I like to understand things. If y'all hadn't figured this out about me by now, I don't know where you've been over the last however many years, right? And it's, and, it's, and it's very, very difficult for me to look somebody in the eye and say, I don't understand, but God does. Remember, you can have peace when you don't understand if you learn to trust someone who does understand. I don't understand how you can put food in dirt and it creates more food. But see, I didn't create that process. God did. Now, I can choose to not participate in it because I don't understand it. Or, you see, that's, that's what God is saying. His, his book is full of instructions to you and to me on how to participate in a process you may never understand, at least never understand on this side of heaven. To be honest with you, I mean, I can explain the mechanics of it, but... Jesus was the greatest seed of all. 
Remember what he said? He told his disciples, he said, look, i got to die. He said, because if a seed remains on the shelf and never falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if that seed goes into the belly of the earth and comes forth from the earth, it brings forth more fruit. I'm fruit from his seed. I'm a born-again man today because Jesus, the seed of God, did not abide on the shelf forever, alone. That's why he's no longer the only begotten Son of God, but he's now the firstborn among many brethren. Trust the process. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Praise God. You get anything out of this? I do not know what you're dealing with this morning. I mean, I've got some ideas because I know you because I know me. But I can, I can tell you this for sure. Whatever it is that you need, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is you're trying to overcome and put behind you, whatever the situation, whatever the crisis, whatever the issue, whatever the problem, whatever the dilemma, God has a process that's bigger than you that you may never understand, but he's given you in his word very practical steps to take to trust him, right? So trust is what enables us to engage the process that's bigger than us. If the farmer never trusts the process, he'll never plant the seed. And if he never plants the seed, guess what? He'll starve to death. But if he trusts the process that he doesn't understand, he, how is he, notice how does he participate? He participates by taking some of the food that he has and going and planting it. Now, if you've ever planted a garden, you know that it's work. Right? But the real work is behind the scenes. In other words, the miracle, if you will, the mystery, if you will, is something that God does. Now, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 51. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to point something out from this passage that's, that I think we all need to see in light of what we're talking about today. Jesus, of course, miraculously conceived uh, in, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. We know that he was born in Bethlehem. We know that the Lord warned Joseph about high-powered people seeking Jesus' life, and in this case, he instructed him to go to Egypt. Now, this is, I don't want to take too far of a side journey here, but this is, this is really important, okay? Um, we've got to learn to hear from God. And then we've got we to trust Him when He tells us the things that we need to do. Now, you would think, wait a second, this is God's Son. He's bulletproof. He, he can, <laughs> God will protect Him no matter, where, no matter where He is. Well, apparently, are you following what I'm saying? God told Joseph... Take the boy to Egypt. 
Do I understand all that? No, but see, again, all the ways of God are designed to teach us how to trust Him. So do I understand why God told Him to go? How about, I mean, do you not think, see, I, this is back to that push-button world. God appearing to Joseph and saying, hey, Joseph, there's a lot of mean people trying to kill Jesus, but none of them can touch him. Just do whatever you want to do. See, that's, you know, that's kind of how I think it ought to work, but that's not how God, in this situation, he said, take the boy to Egypt. See, I think part of this was God preparing Mary and Joseph to raise this boy. You do realize that you're, family of origin was your first small group, right? Now, they've traveled back to Jerusalem, and they would travel in caravans, families and neighbors and you know friends all travel together in groups. It was safer that way. Strength in numbers, robbers along the way, you know, knock people over the head and steal their stuff and that sort of thing. So um, the kids would often be towards the back of the caravan, you know, playing and having a good time together and, and what have you. And so Mary and Joseph were headed back out of Jerusalem. They had traveled for a, an entire day before they realized Jesus was not with the group. So that's a day's journey back to Jerusalem and then another day to find him. He was missing three days. Can you imagine the panic? The angel of the Lord's already told them there's powerful people who are trying to kill him. They found him, as some of you know, 12 years old, sitting in the temple, having high-level doctrinal conversations with some of the most educated men on planet Earth. And they marveled at that. I'm not so sure Mary and Joseph were marveling. And so he says to them, they say to him, brother, hey, what, what are you thinking, Jesus? And he's like, did you not know I have to be about my father's business? Now, at this point, Jesus is beginning to understand and discover his destiny, but he's doing it from a 12-year-old brain. He was surprised that they were worried about him. So notice what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Then he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased. That's an important word. We'll talk about it in a moment. He increased in wisdom. He increased in stature. He increased in favor with God and in favor with man. And that's a whole other sermon series in and of itself. But these are four distinct areas that God desires for all of his children to increase in. Now, I particularly like that stature was included here. Because he's saying that increasing or growing and developing in wisdom occurred right alongside him growing and developing physically. Jesus went from an infant about that big to a toddler about this big to a teenager about this big to a, an adult man, I don't know exactly how tall, you know, but about this tall. But in the same way you could 
see him and then see him again two years later when he was a kid and he was taller and bigger, he was also increasing inwardly in things like wisdom, in things like favor with God and with man. God is a God of process. And Jesus himself was not exempt from the process. There were things that Jesus learned and grew and came to see and came to know through the experience of growing up and developing from a baby to a child, from a child to an adolescent, from an adolescent to a teenager, from a teenager to a man. This word increased. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This word increased, I really wish, we're going to get the screen fixed soon. Just praise God. Thank you for your patience with us. This word increased is the word prokopto. Greek transliteration. P-R-O, for those of you who are taking notes, I'll spell it for you. P-R-O-K, not C-K, prokopto. P-R-O-C-O-P-T-O. The word, of course, is important, but the reason the word's important is because of what the word means. This is a Greek compound word. Increased in the English comes from a Greek compound word, prokopto, and this uh, English word increase translated from the Greek, it means to cut or strike forward with repeated strokes. To cut or strike forward with repeated strokes. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I first saw that definition some, some time ago, the first image that popped up in my mind was a man with a machete cutting a path forward through a dense jungle. Are you seeing this? In other words, he's trying to get from point A to point B, but there, are, there is dense undergrowth between him and where he wants to be, And so how does he move forward? He moves forward by cutting and by striking. He's cutting and he's striking. That means he's going to make progress incrementally. The word communicates gradual or incremental progress that accumulates over time. Are you getting anything out of this? Are you you seeing this, right? Now, I know that some preachers, and, and I almost feel like I need to make this disclaimer because, you know, everybody has, the, they go crazy. They start talking about this wilderness experience and how hard it is and all sort of stuff. Listen to me, please. That's not, that is not what I'm saying here. What do you, what, when it says Jesus increased in stature, what does that mean? It means he did not push a button and go from a baby to an adult. He did it the same way every one of us did it, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. He grew and he developed incrementally. I've told you the story before, back when my children were very young, I would go and work in Atlanta. I would leave out really early on a Monday morning, try to be back before they went to bed on Friday. And I would be amazed at that age how much they would have grown in my absence. Now, when I was seeing them every day, I didn't notice that they were growing because they were growing just a little bit here and a little bit there and a little more here and a little more there. And it was gradual and it was incremental, but I didn't notice it. But when I was away from them for five or six days and then I would see them, I was like, man. 
process. Somebody say process. Process. Praise God, I'm out of time. Let me, let me give you one more set of scriptures, okay? And this is where we'll jump in hopefully next week, all right? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul says, Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. And that word apprehended means to arrive. I have not yet arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal, it, will, will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, verse 16, to the degree that we've already attained or already arrived, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. What is he talking about here? He's talking about taking more and more ground. He's talking about advancing deeper and deeper into the things that Jesus gave to him the day he was born again. He says, I'm pressing. This doesn't sound like um, riding. It sounds like plowing to me, right? This sounds like prokopto to me. But I want to remind you that the call of God on Paul's life is the same call, maybe not identical in what he has for you to do, but every call of God is, Every call of God is an upward call. What does that mean? It means God wants to take you a little bit higher today than you were yesterday. He wants to move you a little further along today than you were yesterday. He wants to move you ahead a little more tomorrow than you were today. He wants to incrementally through prokopto, he wants to continue to move you deeper and deeper into his destiny for you, deeper and deeper into the life of influence that he has for you, deeper and deeper and more and more into the life of prosperity that he has for you, better and better and more and more, climbing higher and higher. And he says, listen, we have not yet arrived, but to whatever degree we have arrived. What is he saying? He's saying, whatever ground that you have gained, let that become the new normal in your life. So many times God works in our lives and we think it was some kind of epiphany. We think it was some kind of lightning strike. We think it was some kind of once-in-a-lifetime ordeal and we'll just move on from there. No, my friend, listen to me. If you've been born again, then learn how to walk in righteousness If you've been filled with the Spirit, pray in tongues every day of your life. Whatever light you have, walk in that light. Whatever progress you've made, don't look at it as some uh, experience that, that we talk about now as the glory days of old, but think about it as the new normal in your life and let's use this new normal as a platform to take more ground and to lay hold of more things for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of us to enjoy and experience in our life reality. It's an upward call. It's an upward call. He created you to live on a level of influence, authority, meaningfulness, and prosperity that you cannot get to by yourself. You can only get there if you learn how to trust Him. If it takes trust to get there, it's because it'll take trust to remain there. It'll take trust to remain there. Nothing in the Bible that applies to you personally is automatic. It's not automatic. Some of you already know because I've said this so many times. I'm going to say it again, though. When John Mark was very little, he wanted to shoot the big hoop, but he, could, he couldn't ring the basket. It was, too, it was out of reach for him. But now when I laid hold of him and lifted him up, 
now what was previously out of reach is well within reach. He's still got to make the shot. But now he can, if he tries, lay hold of what he previously could have never laid hold of no matter how hard he tried. This is what Paul is saying. Because Jesus has laid hold of you, there is a life now within reach for you that was previously out of reach. You've now been included in things that you were previously left out of and excluded from. There are now things that you have as your right and privilege as a son or daughter of God to enjoy and experience in your life and family every day of your life. But nothing in this Bible that applies to you personally is automatic. You've got to go after it. You've got to be willing to strike and hack and, and, and cooperate and walk alongside and plow if necessary and learn along the way. Amen. Let me pray for you, Father. Thank you this morning. These beautiful men and women, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Father, sometimes, you know, we just, we want results and we want them now. We want growth and we want it now. We want to be mature and we want it now. We want to be more mature and we want it now. And so, Father, you keep bringing us back to the process. You keep bringing us back to planting and watering and nurturing and developing. And Oh, but, Father, those days of harvest, those days of increase, those days of, of, of procopto and procopto, and then there's days of breakthrough, Lord, when that one last hack opens up a whole new horizon of your goodness and your greatness and your power and your mercy and your prosperity and your influence, Lord, in and through our lives. Father, my prayer for this group of, of men and women and children, teenagers, Lord, this morning is that we would trust your process. And Father, maybe even for some that, that we would commit ourselves to the process and then trust it. Because he who began the good work in us is trustworthy to complete it into the day of Jesus, the day he comes, to the day we stand before him. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together this morning to partake of communion. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to enjoy the Lord's Supper with you this morning. If you have not yet uh, secured your uh, emblems, they're on the two tables near the back doors. You can, it's, it's fine, just slip back there right now and grab those if you'd like to participate with us. Amen. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he betrayed took bread, which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, till he comes. So there's different ways of proclaiming things clearly in the scriptures. And this morning we're going to proclaim his death. But what does that mean? It's, it's not just that he died. It's what his death means to us now. It's what his broken body and his spilled blood means to us today. Amen. So obviously you pull the, the, the clear one back first to release the bread. Let's pray over the bread. Father... This bread that we hold in our hands, Lord, it represents the body that was broken for us. Father, it's, it's unleavened, it's, it's, it's dry, it's not like that, 
that rich yeast bread that we love to slather with butter, Father, but it's because that, that, that leaven, the yeast and the bread, Lord, it represented corruption. And Father, we eat an unleavened bread because that precious body of Jesus was never corrupted by sin of any kind. And Lord, because His spotless sacrifice was offered for us, Lord, we now can stand before You in righteousness and in oneness. And so, Father, as we partake of this bread together in His name, in Jesus' name, we do so in remembrance of Him. Let's partake together, please. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so now, Father, in the same way, we take... We take juice from the grape, Lord, that has not been corrupted through the, um, through the process of, of adding yeast and, and through the process, Lord, of, of, of spoilage. But, Lord, um, fresh juice, Lord, because the blood of Jesus was never corrupted or tainted by sin. Father, thank you for the blood that he shed, Lord, for us. What a sacrifice, what a penalty, what a payment, Lord, for that penalty. And Father, I pray this morning that as we obey you in, in following these instructions, participating in this simple process, Lord, of chewing up a little wafer of bread and, and sipping down a, a, a small amount of juice, Lord, that, that these actions, Lord, are our efforts to engage in something that is bigger than us. And so, Father, I, I know that we can eat this meal unworthily, and it caused people to be sick and, and, and even die. But Lord, how much more when we do so with the right heart and attitude can it produce life-giving qualities and health and even healing in our bodies now? And so, Father, I pray that as an act of faith, if there's one in this room this morning that's hurting in their body in some way, sick in some way, maybe even some um, serious diagnosis, Father, Lord, that as we partake of this, um, this simple cup of juice, Lord, that you will release healing and strength into our bodies now. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's partake of the juice together. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Could you just lift your hands to him for a moment, please, and just worship him? Oh, Father, we thank you for this greatest gift of all. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Oh, how it broke your heart when he became our sin. And you had to turn your back on him. But Father, when you turned your back on Jesus that day, you did so with the understanding that you would never have to turn your back on one of your children ever again. Thank you, Father, that you are with us and you love us. Thank you that you'll be with us always, even unto the end of the way. Thank you, Father, this morning that because of what Jesus did, we now have your Holy Spirit alive in us. And because of what Jesus did, we now have your Holy Spirit who's leading us and guiding us into all truth. Father, for that one in here today that's, that's struggling in some area of their life, I pray, Father, that you would show them your process for their situation. Lord, that, that listen, Father, you know that we believe in, in miracles and in instantaneous deliverance and, and strongholds broken with the simple laying on of a hand. We believe in all of that, Father. But, Lord, we also know that your process in our lives is designed to lead us to the greater things that you have for us, greater levels of trust so that we can operate in higher levels of influence and prosperity. So, Lord, thank you 
for what you've done in our hearts and lives this morning. May the wisdom that's come from your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word today go with us into the week ahead. And we believe you for good things now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you so much.